Well, good morning, church. It is so good to see everybody here in worship in the Faith and Arts Center, along with those who are joining us online. And I greet you in the name of Jesus, before whose name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, today we are continuing our fall worship series entitled, The Faith We Sing, and we are considering the hymns of Charles Wesley, which have inspired the Methodist movement over the centuries. Today's featured song is Soldiers of Christ Arise. Wesley uses a militant image to portray the church as God's army. Our scripture lesson for the day from Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 18 inspired the song. And this is the conclusion of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. But in the introduction, Paul breaks one of the cardinal rules of preaching. He uses the word, finally. Homiletics professors have taught generations of students to never, ever use the words finally, lastly, or in conclusion for two reasons. The first is, as soon as a preacher says finally, he or she has lost the congregation. They're going to start gathering their stuff up, getting ready to rush out the door to beat the Baptist for brunch or lunch. We'll miss the conclusion altogether. The second reason preachers should never use the word finally is because it gives the congregation a sense of false hope. There are preachers who will say finally, lastly, in conclusion, and then keep talking for another 10 or 15 minutes. They'll do touch-and-go landings, but they just can't quite land the airplane. But the final words are oftentimes the most important words. So I invite you to hear Paul's conclusion to the Ephesians, beginning in chapter 6, verse 10, written not only to that church, but to Northside Church today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying, for all the Lord's people. Amen. Today, the United Methodist Church is a respected mainline denomination in the United States. We often forget that we began as a revivalistic movement in the Church of England, and the Anglican leaders reacted vehemently to the Wesley brothers' reform efforts and doctrinal differences. Both church leaders, along with the public press, oftentimes slandered early Methodists. 
And it wasn't just words. There were oftentimes acts of violence as well. Riots, mobs, arson, beatings, loss of job. So in 1749, Charles Wesley wrote the hymn we're considering today to encourage beleaguered believers. It originally had 16 stanzas, eight lines each. Verses 1 through 11 go through our scripture lesson today phrase by phrase. Verses 12 through 15 talk about the power of prayer, and then verse 16 concludes by telling God's soldiers to endure and to persevere. Paul begins the section by writing, finally, be strong. Strength is certainly something that appeals to us. Believe it or not, I was not always the taut, toned, buff preacher standing before you today. I know. In my childhood, I would read comic books, and they had those Charles Atlas ads at the back, which would promise to take a weak boy, change him into a macho man. When I graduated high school, I was 6'1 and 145 pounds. I aspired to muscular masculinity. God had other plans instead. And I finally had to face it, I'm never going to be a 10 on the beach. Although I am a pretty strong 7 in any Walmart. (laughs) But of course, Paul's not talking about physical strength here, but spiritual strength. And one of the lessons he reminds us of that we know but we need to emphasize is that the strength we have as God's people is not internally generated. It's not willpower. It's not gritting our teeth in order to be better, to be stronger. It is a gift from God. We serve the King of kings. We serve the Lord of lords. The very power that spoke creation into being is at our fingertips. It is our birthright as God's people. Paul promised in Romans that we are more than conquerors in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he goes on to say that, therefore, we need to put on the full armor of God. And we'll talk more in detail about the armor of God in a moment, but I want to focus on that phrase, put on. It's God's power, but we have to accept and claim it. Over the past years, the military has been experimenting with what's called exoskeletons where a soldier steps into a suit of armor, which multiplies human effort, can run faster, carry hundreds of pounds, bend a steel rod with hands, crush concrete blocks. That is the power that God gives us. But we have to put it on, claim it for ourselves, and then depend upon God's strength alone. Paul then says, we're encouraged to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power for a purpose. We're to put on the full armor of God so that, and wherever you see the word so that or therefore in the Bible, you need to perk your ears, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so that is important. It reminds us our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the spiritual forces of evil. 
And even as I say that, I recognize we live in 21st century America. And talking about the supernatural in a postmodern world is oftentimes simply dismissed. Although, a recent Gallup poll revealed that 70% of Americans still believe in the devil and in hell. And as I look around there, sometimes I think Hollywood believes in the supernatural more than the church does. We already believe in God, the Holy Spirit, prayer, angels, miracles. We have already professed a belief in the supernatural. Why would it surprise us that there is an evil spiritual force that opposes God's people and the church? And the Bible defines that force as being demonic with the devil at its head. C.S. Lewis, in his classic book, The Screwtape Letters, and I've mentioned this before, if you haven't read it, you need to, gives two sage words of advice in his introduction. He wrote, there are two equal and opposite errors which we can fall into about the devil. The first is to disbelieve his existence. The second is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. I would add a third. We need not be afraid. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Christian theology is not a dualistic theology that says there are two equal and opposite forces in the world. We believe at the cross and at the empty tomb, God broke the power of evil forever. This is not a fight between two equal forces. In fact, it's not even a fair fight because God is on our side. Again, we are more than conquerors in the name who loves us. In the 16th century, Martin Luther, who began the Protestant Reformation, wrote a hymn entitled, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And in a medieval age where they thought devils lurked in every shadow, he wrote, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, he, grim, we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, one little word shall fail him. And that one word is Jesus the Christ, the word of God who gives us power and gives us victory. And we need not be afraid, but we also need not be naive. Because although evil is defeated, it fights a mean retreat. And we as God's people are called to embrace holiness and to shun evil. And it's one of the reasons, especially when I'm teaching teenagers, I encourage them to shy away from anything that even hints of evil and of the occult. Even things sometimes we think are silly, like horoscopes, astrology, mediums, fortune-telling, Ouija boards, supernatural books and movies. There are even some online and video games where players can take on the persona of demons. Reject evil. Embrace holiness. Take your stand. Resist the devil. Claim the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Then Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God for this battle. Remember, Paul was in Rome in prison for the faith, awaiting trial when he wrote to the church in Ephesus. So there were Roman soldiers all around him. And he naturally looked at their equipment and drew a spiritual analogy. He emphasized putting on the 
full armor of God. Let me make a very basic point here. It doesn't help to put on part of the armor of God because our opponent is going to attack us at the weakest point. Putting on the full armor is important. As we go through the list, consider, is there a particular area the Holy Spirit's saying that you need to work on a little bit more? The first item is the belt of truth. Roman soldiers wore a belt for two basic reasons. First of all, it secured their clothing so that they could maneuver in combat. And secondly, their equipment hung off of it, including their sword. We're reminded that God's truth, first and foremost, is Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. God teaches us how to live in this world. Secondly, we are called to be a people who speak the truth who are persons of integrity whose inward being and outward actions and words line up, that we speak truth. M. Scott Peck wrote an intriguing book a couple, three decades ago that's entitled People of the Lie. And he makes a convincing case that one of the primary symptoms and signs of evil is falsehood. In opposition to that, we are a people who speak the truth. But there's a qualifier to that in the Bible. We're called to speak the truth in love. Because we can weaponize words. I've seen people do terrible damage in others' lives, and their excuse was, I was only telling the truth. Well, you can tell the truth in a way that hurts and decimates. We're called to tell the truth in a way that in love, builds up and heals. The second piece of equipment is the breastplate of righteousness. Roman soldiers typically wore either chain or plate armor, and it was designed to protect their vital organs. In Paul's theology, righteousness always means right relationship with God, that in Jesus Christ, God has made right what was wrong, and we enter into a right relationship if something's been done for us. But then we're called to lead righteous lives. That one immediately leads to the other. We may have grown up in churches singing just as I am without one plea, but God doesn't expect us to stay that way. That we come to God and God continues what we talked about last week, that process of sanctification, perfection, holiness, creating us to be the people God wants us to be so that what we say, what we do, our inner landscape, reflects God's righteousness in our lives. The third piece of equipment, he says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers wore hobnailed sandals or short boots that they would tighten for combat. But in Romans, Paul talks about how those who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ have pretty feet. You ever thought about having, that you have pretty feet? Maybe a few of us here, most of us are going, ah. But Paul says we are beautiful when we go into the world and share the gospel with others. Wherever your feet take you, that's where you're called to be an evangelist. At school, at work, at home, with your neighbor, on the road, wherever you find yourself, where you plant your feet... That's where you're called to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. The next piece of armor is the shield of faith. 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Roman soldiers used several different types of shields. Uh, the one Paul probably is talking about is a full body length shield made of wood covered with leather. And then before battle, they would soak it in water to extinguish any flaming arrows or spears. Paul talks about in God, we are protected. God is our fortress. God is our refuge. Although there's much to fear in this world, we need not be afraid. Because the shield of faith extinguishes those fiery arrows of fear, of dread, of doubt. Then he talks about the helmet of salvation. Most of us have seen Roman soldiers' helmets in movies. Metal, cheek guards, neck guard, a ridge of metal on the top, and officers usually had horsehair bristles so that they could be noticed in battle. That we have the helmet of salvation a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that one emphasis of the Methodist movement has always been a doctrine of assurance, that we can know what we know what we know, that we don't have to be in doubt about our relationship with God. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are saved because of what God has done for us and how we have accepted that through human faith. So we don't have to lead lives of uncertainty and lack of power but instead claim the salvation that is ours in God. And then he goes on to talk about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In Latin, the short sword that Roman soldiers carried was called a gladius, from which we get the word gladiator. Paul says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And in that reference, he means two different things. First of all, it is the gospel of God's word, of Jesus Christ. And secondly, it is literally the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures that instruct us in the faith. And this is the one item of equipment that is not only defensive, but it's also offensive. And it's a reminder that while Martin Luther talked about the church being a mighty fortress is our God, the better analogy, the better image is that we're an army on the march, that we are soldiers of Christ. We are called to put on the full armor of God because we're doing battle. And Jesus told Simon Peter that the gates of hell themselves will not stand against our march. The victory is sure, and we're part of a conquering army of God. Now, I'm going to stop here for just a moment and have something special to say to our children and our youth who are in the congregation. In the sanctuary building, we have beautiful stained glass windows. In the larger sanctuary, there is one window that shows Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. And in one of the panels, there is a sword, and the inscription says, Spiritus, Sancti, uh, Spiritus Gladius which means sword of the Spirit. If you with your parents can find that, the first one who finds me this morning and tells me where it's at, I have a $10 Chick-fil-A gift card for you, okay? Christian chicken <laughs> waiting for you, but only the first person. I can't do it for all 50 children we've got here today. So that's your homework as you leave. And then Paul talks about the last secret weapon we have as God's people is prayer. 
And if you've read Paul's epistles in the Route 66 journey, you know over and again he talks about prayer. He talks about how he's always praying for the church. And he says we're called to pray constantly and continually. He wrote, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Paul gets repetitiously redundant repeatedly here when he talks about pray, pray, and then pray. In 1998, I had the opportunity to travel uh, with the West Point Church to the Agalta Valley in Honduras for a mission trip. Had a wonderful week of ministry, and there were several churches that went, including our Episcopal leader at the time, uh, Bishop Lindsey Davis and his wife, Jennifer. At the end of the week, we spent the night in Tegucigalpa. We went to the airport. We were sitting in the terminal waiting for our flight, and Bishop Davis was sitting by himself. I'd never really had much of an opportunity to chit-chat with bishops before, so I thought, here's my opportunity. So I walked over, sat beside him, engaged him in a conversation. And at some point, I said to him, Bishop Davis, if you could go back into the local pastorate, what is the one thing you would do differently? And as a relatively young minister at the time, I was waiting for some word of advice that would transform my pastoral ministry. And he thought for a long moment, and he finally said, you know what I would do? I would pray more. Pray more. Get that out of a children's sermon. Learn that in first grade in Sunday school. Vacation Bible school mentioned it. Pray more. I expected more out of a bishop of the United Methodist Church. 25 years later, Those words still echo in my mind. It gets that basic. It's something we know, and sometimes we practice, and sometimes we neglect and ignore. Pray more. Pray continually. Pray constantly. Because we're involved in spiritual warfare, and we're called to put on the full armor of God. Here again, Charles Wesley's words from the hymn, Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies through His eternal Son, strong in the Lord of hosts and in His mighty power, who in the strength of Jesus' trust is more than conqueror. From strength to strength go on, wrestle and fight and pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day. Still let the Spirit cry, and all his soldiers come, till Christ the Lord descends from high and takes his conquerors home. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.